Hi, welcome to podcast number 34, brought to you by Help with Parkinson's. Our guest today is Dr. Subramanian, movement disorder specialist at Hershey Medical Center in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And I'm your host, Warren Butfinick. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Sub. Hi, thanks for having me again. Thanks for coming. I know you have to not cut this a little short today because you have another engagement, but uh, we'll at least get through uh, maybe 20 minutes. Yep. Good. So uh, this... What we're going to talk about today is surgery in the brain without a scalpel. Could you explain to the audience what's, what's that about? Right. So uh, the idea is that um, if we can do DBS type of uh, surgery, but if we can do that without actually cutting open the skull or drilling a hole in the skull, uh, that might be a real exciting um, way to do it. So one thing that has come about recently is um, something called focused ultrasound. So the same ultrasound machine that people uh, use to take pictures of fetuses and babies in uh, pregnant women can be used uh, to uh, understand and learn about the brain um, and also used for treatment purposes. The way that's done is to use what we, what we call acoustic force. Um, by making the energy level of ultrasound very, very high, uh, you can allow it to penetrate the skull bone into the brain itself. And so what a bunch of investigators did several years ago was to use acoustic force, meaning very high energy ultrasound beam, to try to get into the brain and they successfully managed to do it. So the technology has advanced now to the point that you can actually uh, use the very fine focused beam of ultrasound that can go into the same area that is uh, lesioned or or targeted for deep brain stimulation, an area called the cephalamic nucleus. Uh, And then you can produce a small lesion there meaning you can heat up that small area and cause that area to stop uh, producing abnormal signals. And this way you can take care of tremor and uh, other symptoms of Parkinson's disease. The first uh, set of patients that got this treatment um, were not patients with Parkinson's disease. They were patients with essential tremor. And they were targeted in another area of the brain, which is called the thalamus. But... um, then it's been useful targeting many other areas, including the uh, area of the brain where uh, we think is uh, all the abnormal signals are coming for Parkinson's disease. Uh, for example, the subthalamic nucleus. So that's in a nutshell uh, what uh, this particular technology is. Um, there are many other technologies coming along. Uh, and there have been some old technology, uh, something called gamma knife has also been used for many years. But the disadvantage of gamma knife is that it's radiation. And whenever you apply radiation to the brain, there's always a risk of other secondary phenomenon like you know edema, swelling, so on and so forth. The acoustic force, the nice thing about it is that uh, it does not have those type of side effects and therefore it can be applied um, safely. Now, uh, the way it's actually done is that you uh, go into an MR scanner and you get a sophisticated, uh, detailed MRI scan of your brain, and then um, you get uh, focused ultrasound applied to that area of the brain 
um, using um, a specialized machine. And this requires uh, careful cedar tactic targeting. And uh, usually this whole procedure is very short. I mean, it's an outpatient procedure. You go in the morning and get it done over several hours and you can be discharged the same day um, if there are no complications. And many patients complete the whole procedure in half a day or so. So that's uh, pretty exciting um, new stuff. So that's kind of the overall picture. I'm sure uh, there are questions that you'd like to ask, Warren. Yeah, so, so the, uh, originally, it's, the reason it's uh, approved by the FDA is because it's been done before with a scalpel, right? The, thal- the thalamotomy? Yes, correct. And that's, uh, I believe Michael J. Fox may have had that done, I think. Yes, that's correct. So, right. So the original idea of doing a lesion in the brain where you, you uh, destroy a portion of the brain very carefully using uh, different techniques has been applied for almost 50 years, maybe longer. Uh, there was a famous uh, neurosurgeon by the name of Cooper who did a variety of these surgeries for a variety of disorders, including Parkinson's disease, um, essential trauma, maybe even dystonia, long time ago. But these were lesions that were produced by applying heat directly into the brain. Uh, What that means is that you would carefully make an incision, make a hole in the skull, and then drop a wire uh, or an electrode, and you would heat the tip of the electrode by either passing electricity or uh, passing other forms of heat. Uh, And this would then destroy that portion of the brain, a very carefully selected portion of the brain. It had its virtues, uh, and it was replaced with DBS, deep brain stimulation, when it became apparent that you don't have to make a lesion, but you can actually stimulate the area and produce the same effect. But now um, we're back to where uh, we think we can um, do this using ultrasound. And the nice thing about ultrasound, as I said before, is that it doesn't produce a lot of brain edema, swelling, um, and which is a problem whenever you do surgery using either heating uh, with the direct heating and putting a a heated uh, electrical wire inside the brain or uh, applying radiation. It's like the gamma knife was being done. Uh, So this is a big advance. It's a big uh, improvement over the technology. And it seems like it's uh, very easy to, to deal with because nobody dropped out of the study Mm-hmm. And I believe when, the, when they turned around and told the control group that they didn't have the surgery, everybody but one person wanted the surgery. Correct. So, so that's a good sign that it's, it's uh, very easy on the system and to have nobody, uh, nobody opt out. That is correct. I think that's a, a good uh, way of uh, summarizing the results is that um, everybody was, had a positive feeling about this, this uh, procedure. Uh, the caveat, uh, which I'm sure you've thought about, uh, Warren, because you're an astute reader of this literature, is that um, we don't have a true placebo control for this uh, in the sense that uh, whenever you do a drug study, you can give a fake medicine. But in this case, uh, basically what they did was they applied the device and they you know, pretended to do ultrasound, but they really didn't apply uh, to the brain. So you always worry about that, but uh, then again, there's not a much better way of doing it anyway. 
Right. And it was a small group. That, that's the only issue I see on here is it, it was under 30 people, I believe. Correct. So it's a very small group. That's right, too. And so, so they have to repeat it again with a larger group. How many correct. people do you think would be needed for a study like that? Well, I think, you know, many of the studies um, that I've done surgically have included close to 80 patients. Um, for example, the cell transplant studies that we did had 40 uh, patients in the active arm and the placebo arm had uh, uh, 40 patients. So in these cases, we actually did placebo surgery. You know, they actually underwent a surgical procedure where um, a, the skull was opened and um, a needle was placed into the brain and uh, empty cells were placed in uh, when they did the cell transplantation experiment. And, and that taught us a lot of things. Like, for example, in one of the studies that we actually did, both the placebo group and the transplant group both had significant improvement, and this improvement lasted for close to 18 months, a year and a half, which suggests that there's a significant placebo effect for um, these type of treatments. And in general... Uh, whenever some, somebody's expectations are high, the amount of dopamine that increases in the brain is also quite high. And so that can actually influence um, the results. And so it's, it, one has to be very careful interpreting these type of studies. Uh, having said that, it, clearly it's an advance, no doubt about it, that uh, if you didn't have to cut open and you could do this from outside using ultrasound relatively safely, uh, it's clearly an advance, but we need to do more. We need to do some more uh, rigorous studies uh, to make sure that this actually holds up. And this could uh, be done without any risk of infection, which is probably one of the most important parts of it. Agreed. I think that's, the, that's another advantage of the thing is that since you're not cutting open, uh, the risk of bleeding is lower uh, and also risk of infection is also lower. And then uh, the other advantage is that there's no hardware. So in uh, deep brain stimulation, you actually have to have an implanted hardware and the electrical pulse generator has, has a certain life, although now we have rechargeable ones, it still has a, uh, some mechanical uh, life to it that after a certain period of time, you may have to replace the, the device. Uh, as I said, rechargeable ones are coming around so we can recharge them, but still a device is a device. I mean, at some point it might require replacement. Right. Now the disadvantage of the uh, focused ultrasound and similar to any other type of these lesion studies is that once you do it, there's no modulation. You can't go in and fine tune it. Um, and that's one major disadvantage for this type of procedure compared to DBS. In DBS, you can actually fine-tune it, meaning you can increase the amount of current, reduce the amount of current. You can use different um, contacts, the contact points to, to adjust things. Now, those things are not possible in the case of, uh, in the case of uh, uh, ultrasound or, for that matter, diamond knife or uh, any of the other lesion surgeries. Um, so that's one disadvantage. Um, however, if you know what you're doing and you know your targeting is going to be very, very good, uh, you may not need to go do these adjustments. You can just do a lesion and be done with it. Um, there are other concerns. Uh, so, for example, in Cuba, 
they didn't have access to deep brain stimulation. And for many years, they did subthalamotomy, which is basically trying to make a lesion in the subthalamic nucleus where we do in America put deep brain stimulation. And it turned out that uh, these subthalamotomies were only successful when it was correctly targeted. And many times the surgeons, despite being extremely careful, um, ended up causing the lesion just outside or immediately the surround. And so several people suffered uh, significant problems like strokes and so on and so forth. So um, one always worries, you know, when we're doing this type of surgery, whether if there's a little mistake and you lesion outside, you could get a stroke or something. And that could be a significant uh, downside of this type of surgery. But having said that, now we have better technology. MRIs are more precise uh, and more focused. And these uh, focused ultrasound are also very precise. So uh, the better we get at these things and uh, technology improves, uh, I think this may be the future. So you don't want to have everybody lined up that doesn't really need the surgery just to see how it's going to work out. It's still a, ri- still a risk. Absolutely. And so Absolutely. You, you, you could only use it if you're a candidate for the general surgery. Yes, and, uh, that's, that's correct. So, I mean, this is not for everybody. As uh, we've discussed many times, the uh, vast majority of Parkinson patients can be managed with medications, and they're very effective medications, and for many years they, it works just well. And none of the surgeries, including this, this particular surgery, focused ultrasound, FUS, um, also doesn't do anything more than what medicines do anyway. Uh, so it, it basically supplants the medication uh, in people who have medication-induced complications. So if you're already taking a bunch of Parkinson's medicines and you're having lots of side effects from it, like hallucinations and a lot of dyskinesia, on-off phenomenon, uh, freezing spells, then that's when we consider surgery. Um, unfortunately, despite all the major advances in surgery, including this type of surgery, it hasn't um, overcome uh, pharmacotherapy or treatments with medication. It has not exceeded them. And we hope at some point there will be a very good surgery that would overcome any disadvantages of pharmacotherapy, but that hasn't happened yet. Right. Uh, and not, not even a... Uh... Drug is improved since the 1960s as this far, as, as, far this, as the effectiveness and the strength of it. This is true. So um, carbidopa, levodopa, or levodopa formulations uh, still uh, rule the roost and uh, still is the number one therapy for most patients. In fact, uh, it's probably the cheapest effective uh, medication um, that is best tolerated by most patients with Parkinson's disease in their lifetime. And almost everybody needs that medicine at some point or the other. So uh, there is some truth to the fact that uh, despite 60 years of advancement, we still haven't made that big leap to find, um, you know, super exciting molecule. On the other hand, though, we have become much smarter in the way we use it. So we have uh, created lots of new formulations and they're working really well. So, um, we do have to say that we have made advances in that, that scheme of things. We're not doing the way we were doing it 60 years ago. Right. Years. Good. So I guess uh, you got another appointment coming up. So 
Right. Like so, yeah. Well, yeah, so I would summarize by saying that this is indeed a, a nice advancement, and uh, especially if somebody has surgical risk, for example, bleeding disorder, has got uh, blood thinning problems, um, or have things that puts them at risk for doing brain surgery, which requires a scalpel and drilling of the hole, such uh, patients uh, now have another option uh, to go uh, for this type of an operation. Uh, so that's a big advancement. And also people who are um, very reluctant to stay awake for the surgery and uh, have their uh, operation done while they're awake, for them, uh, this may be another advantage in that they can go to sleep, they can be sedated, and they can have the surgery done uh, while they're um, asleep or at least sedated. So that's another advantage. Um, so this is, uh, this is one step up. Um, it's not for everybody, but it's a reasonable option. And I think um, as the day of future comes, uh, we will see more of this type of uh, uh, procedure being done. Good. Okay. Well, thanks for uh, being our guest today. Thank you. And uh, just, just since you're leaving early, can I put you on the spot for a question? Sure. If you had to pick everything we talked about since we started, mm-hmm. which is the, uh, the most likely going to lead us to a cure? What, what this, we talked about the stomach, mm-hmm. uh, all this different uh, pathways mm-hmm. of the vagus nerve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, which one do you think is just, just out of you know, in, uh, today's date? Mm-hmm. What do you think is be the most probability? I think you hit the nail right there. I think the idea that uh, the disease starts in the stomach and then comes up through the vagus nerve is indeed uh, probably the most exciting news we've uh, we have heard um, in the most recent in the next last uh, twelve to eighteen months. And uh, since there are newer methods that we're looking at to see why does it happen, why does this protein alpha-synuclein occur in the stomach in a, uh, in a unique way? Is it due to uh, the bugs that we have in the GI tract or is it due to exposure to toxin? Uh, that's really opened up a whole new area of research that we didn't have before. The concept of disease progressing from the uh, spinal cord or from the medulla all the way up to the brain it's not entirely new. Uh, Brock hypothesis has been around for, you know, almost 25 years or so. But this is the first time we have had some really unique uh, and interesting uh, findings from different animal models as well as human studies. Uh, for example, the appendectomy data that came up, which we discussed in one of our podcasts, and also um, the vagotomy idea. It's pretty exciting. I think um, we, we're probably going to see some real major uh, treatment choices coming up um, quickly uh, based on these findings, I think. You know, we'll Good. see. Yeah. So I just want, want to see your opinion on that. Well, thanks for coming in on your busy day. All right. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye.